exploring the possibilities for what's to come with artificial intelligence and virtual reality in fashion. So people will be wearing virtual suits. No, but like <laughs> physical suits, actual suits. Oh, I got excited for a moment. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> that's a cool idea. You need to trademark that as well. That's right. People walking around thinking they're wearing suits, but they're actually naked. Oh, wow. The king is naked. <laughs> that's a famous thing. Yeah. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terence Toe and I'm the Founder and Managing Director of Strategic Corporation. And I have my co-host with me today. Nadia Hughes. And I am a director from Smart Business Solutions. And today we've got a very interesting guest, Josh Brinjak from Brinjak Creative. Welcome, Josh. Thank you for having me. And we met at a just a networking event. Yeah. And I saw you do a presentation and there are a few things that stood out to me. Yeah. The first thing is obviously, to most people, your age. <laughs> yeah, it's Very it's young true. entrepreneur. <laughs> And I was really impressed by that. I think most of us, and, and I'm sure we'll go over this, but you know, at 16, I've got the entrepreneurial spirit that you've displayed so far. So really impressed by that. But to begin with, you know, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Josh Brinjak and what do you get up to? That's a good question. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. But yeah, I really never saw myself, like obviously because of my age as well, I never saw myself in business, I just knew from as young as I could remember, like always wanting to be known through one thing or another for something that was greater than myself, if that made any sense. Mm -hmm. And in a really basic form when obviously I was younger. But then that sort of developed. And then I went through these, obviously we'll chat more about it today, but I'm originally from South Africa and moved to Australia with my family at the age of six or seven. And obviously, immigrating to a new country, it does a lot to you as a family, but also mentally, financially, and all of that. And I, I remember going through this time where it was a sort of low, this dark time, but also where I reconnected back with that, not purpose, but this little, I think, nagging, which I think is a conviction now within myself from a young age to be known for something greater than myself. So out of that time, I decided that my purpose was to resource other people, projects, communities, and ventures that positively impact or eventually positively change the lives of other people. So I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew I wanted to do that. And that was good enough for me at the time. I knew I wanted to wake up and actually do that. So the first thing that, that sort of aligned with that purpose that I decided at around the age of 12 was a photography business. I, I sort of found this passion and this love for photography and then always this thing I had for business and decided to merge the two into a really basic photography business while in like in year five or six. That sort of evolved over time into what's now known as Locally Brinjack Creative, uh, which is a creative agency and that's taken me on a on a world of experiences, which has been really, really exciting. And and I think especially in Australia, we have so many opportunities like that, especially for young people. So 
I love being able to share my story and and see what other young people are doing in Australia because it's pretty amazing. And then out of that, the creative agency was just visual content creation. And I developed this passion for working with online retailers in fashion specifically. So I started two different business ideas online that were both in two different industries and both sort of miserably failed when they started, or should I say before they actually released. (laughs) (laughs) That's even something can fail, but it did fail in the most miserable way failure can happen, I guess. But I'm like, well, if I fail two times, why not fail third? That's pretty strong. (laughs) Yeah. And, And then I started the business called Gentleman Australia, which was an online fashion retailer focused on eventually changing the way millennials shop online, but decided to start it off as first just a online fashion retailer that would sell fashion and independent fashion labels as well as bigger fashion labels to millennial market, both men and women equally. So now we're here today and I'm running those businesses both full time and dropped out of traditional schooling in year eight and out of online schooling earlier this year and pursuing both businesses full time and seeing where that those both will take me. So that that's a little bit, a tiny bit about myself and That's pretty cool. And and I think that there's, there's actually, you've given us a lot to explore from there. There's one thing I just want to come back to because I really want to, you know, kind of go mm. through your journey and some of the key moments were for you to get from the age of 12, trying mm. to, you know, start to get out there and start doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Which is pretty cool. But one of the things that, that I really noticed you spoke about, and correct me if I've got mm. this kind of slightly wrong, but you spoke about purpose. You seem to be really strong on purpose. And, and you kind of said that you didn't just find purpose, purpose found you, mm. from my memory of it. I thought it was a really strong idea that, you know, that purpose has found you. But I guess what interests me is, is yeah. how do you think that happened? What makes that happen, you know, especially at that early in, in your life? That's really true. So, yeah, like what you were just touching base on there is is that I, I have this sort of thing that I found in my experience is that we don't choose dreams, dreams choose us. Yeah. And that's been really, really apparent for me, especially in the past few months of doing business and, and everything that's happened. And I think the reason why I found it from a young age is because, and this is a really interesting question I was actually talking about on last night. And it's asking yourself, what do I love? Like, what do I, I really love to do? And that, But the problem is people stop there. And that's just one side of the equation. But the most important thing as well, and I think even more important than asking yourself, what do I love is, well, what do I passionately hate? And I was like, I didn't know I was asking myself that, but I was. And out of that, you sort of see huge changes in our world looking back on history and you see that people have changed and society massively not only for a love of let's say world peace or everyone just getting along but of let's say a hate for injustice or a hate for poverty like a martin luther king who hated the battles between the white brother and the black brother like i was talking about the other night but out of that he turned that change into what i said before a conviction And he found out what he passionately loved, but that wasn't enough. He found out what he then passionately hated and then used that to drive the love into creating change that would then turn that 
let's say, Martin Luther King, that oppression and that injustice into something that the world remembers for many, many, many years and, and decades later, which is a really profound way, I think, to look at how this generation and many generations ago, how people have changed the course of our world in a large way, is that they found out what they passionately hate and then created this conviction out of that. And when you, going back to the the topic originally is that dreams choose us. I think when you really find out what you passionately love and what you hate is that you begin to notice certain ideas and opportunities a lot more. So all these experiences and these opportunities add up and there seems to be dreams or, or certain things that fall into place, even in a slight, really, really slight way. And then you begin to pursue it and push forward and push past challenges and you begin to find out as you pursue them they were already there and predestined before you knew they were there that's a huge i guess you'd call it a revelation that i found out but also something i try to share is that i've never had this sort of grand idea and master plan is it's just all happened along the way Mm-hmm. And it's just all been opportunities and, and ideas that I've come across. But it came out of a time where I found out what I love as well as what I hate and use that. Can I ask you to elaborate on that? So if I ask you mm-hmm. directly, Josh, what is it you hate so passionately mm-hmm. that drives you to success? <laughs> just tell me. What I really passionately hate today is the statistic that has recently come out specifically for Australia. And it's that youth suicide has reached a 10-year high. And that's just been, if you think about it, a decade where our world has become more and more connected than ever, but yet it's become so apparent that young people, the main users of this technology and this innovation have become even more and more lonelier, which is so shocking. But the thing that I passionately hate out of that, and I think from my experience as well, is is on the topic of suicide, is it comes from this place of just being purposeless and feeling like your life doesn't amount to anything or you're pushing your life in a a purposeful direction or not the problem i think there's a huge problem with our generation as and as young people today is that we're so connected but so lonely and then what out of that is we don't find our identity and the danger from that is then we become purposeless and we don't actually pursue what is meaningful but rather what is expedient in the moment or provides us joy in the moment if you were to talk to any of the despondent teen Mm. out there what would you be telling him here who is just sitting there isolated and suddenly stumbles across this podcast and it's your opportunity to describe them how do you see and can help them out of it yeah no i think what i touched base on before for me the most powerful thing was because people say a lot of the times people who have really really change the course, like I said before, of things in a huge way. We all see them as those once in a sort of generation geniuses and those Albert Einsteins or those uh, Steve Jobs or Nelson Mandela's. But really they're ordinary people like us. They've all they've done is they've extraordinary things. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. But wh- how do they get to that point? And if you really study deep into a lot of these people is you, you find out that finding what you love is one thing and it's it's hard at times to find what you love especially when you're in that dark place and if you can't find that then find what you passionately yeah hate and then out of that 
find what you love. Don't obviously stay in that hole forever. So you're basically introducing 180 degree view. Yeah. So if you can't find your passion and your purpose and everything, find you what you completely don't want to do yeah. in this world. Yeah. And then from it potentially will lead you to point of reference. Yeah. And you will project into 180 degrees to yeah. what would be opposite of this hatred. Yeah, of Is it course. Correct? So yeah. tell me your 180 degree exercise you have done. You found what you passionately hate. I understood it's a, this yeah. completely controversial loneliness of people despite mm. of all means of stake and availability of connection and yeah. infrastructure there for them to be constantly talking. Yet they're losing identity, yeah. they're losing purpose, they're grasping for air because mm. they can't they all faceless now. Okay, they all exactly. look the same way, pouted lips, uh, hip out, yeah, if it's wow. a girl and things like that. That's it. so true. If it's a guy, I don't know what they're showing their muscles yeah. or whatever, <laughs> flexing <laughs> something. Yeah, flexing, yeah. This is what my biggest thing for me. So you found mm. it. You hated the yeah. teen suicide. What didn't you hate? What? How did you project the 180 yeah. degree for yourself? That's a really amazing question. I loved seeing people who have gone, and they will always relate what you hate and what you love, but going the 180 degrees from that, you see people who have gone against the odds in their life and have gotten themselves to a place where they never should have been according to statistics. So the success, and not only the successful people, I mean, I've been so inspired in the creative agency by working with not only really huge clients, but mostly, actually mostly, really small clients that have consistently kept to their art and their their crafts. Like your local family-owned bakery or your cafe, they have may not be making this huge difference all across the world, but they've stuck to this craft and this art for 30 years and they've perfected that. And out of that, like what cafes and, and spots like that create is, is a, a hub for the community. So... Out of that, what I love is people who have taken life suffering because we're all going to go through a, a point of suffering in our life one time or another. If not today, then next month or next year. And that burden, that responsibility of life and actually taking it on with both hands and gripped it and created something amazing or, or changed. Um, okay. If yeah. I ask you again, very confronting question, what's your point of suffering in life? What's my point of suffering in life? That's a good question. What's so the, the most probably yeah. strong feelings yeah. of suffering have you ever experienced? The strong feelings of suffering. So I think in life we never have, and I mean, I'm speaking from a 16-year-old's perspective here. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that, that's a, that's so very valuable is, perspective so because yeah, no, I appreciate we that. will interview you at 17, at 18, 19, yeah. so we will have your perspective growing. We'll see what the difference is. <laughs> of course, no, that's really, really true. But the biggest point of suffering for me in my life has been at 12 years old, being on the brink of, suicide solely because i felt so purposeless at, at the age yeah. of 12 yeah having your family around how many siblings do you have so i have one sister and then i obviously have a family and i mean my family i haven't come from a background of wealth but i haven't come from a background of, of poverty either i'm not trying to convey that at all but obviously my family has been so supportive and everything but obviously when you immigrate as a family at that time we were all going through our own things 
and obviously we're fighting through this. I actually can but, resonate. Yeah. I don't know about yeah. you, Terence, but yeah. I'm an immigrant and I can yeah. resonate. When you in back then you are somebody and you mm-hmm. had a name, you had a really strong connections and purpose and you, you were doing exciting jobs and then suddenly yeah. you coming over and people look at you and their little dog speaks better yeah. English than you do <laughs> and you s- reduce to doing very menial tasks yeah. to yeah. just try to get by and you do lose this but it's also mm. builds you up as a builds human a lot it's of strength a, yeah builds a lot of strength. that's where I think from you feeling suicidal, you mm-hmm. probably also felt, hang on, I can get over this as yeah, well. This is yeah. a feeling. 180 degrees, exactly yeah. like you. It's yeah. a very fleeting feeling was, or mm-hmm. was it a persistent feeling for a period of time? Because somebody mm-hmm. now, you, what you're saying to them, at the age of 12, I experienced this urge to mm-hmm. suicide. Was it a fleeting moment mm-hmm. or did you have this persistent thoughtful, thoughtful period of time? Yeah, I am in a lot of cases, I like to dream big. I approach a lot of things really practically in a step-by-step. So At the age of 12? Yeah, I mean, in how, a very basic form. How did you get but, yourself out of this Gosh, pickle? yeah. So, yeah, like you said. Like, uh, you, you're, you're talking so to Russian now. <laughs> 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 no, you're right. You're right. No, because like you said in the first question, was it like just a fleeting moment? Was it just like, yes. oh, I just want to end it? But no, it was for about probably five or six months. That's what made it horrible. But the problem when you get yourself in that hole is the more and more deeper you dig the hole for yourself is the harder it is to get out because you're digging it deeper and you're not making anything better for yourself. And like I said, I'm normally a practical person, but then you base everything on emotions, which is a very bad thing to do because when you're looking at everything emotionally, it's it's all you're basing things on emotions rather than facts, which most of the time, not all of the time, is it's not a great thing to do when you're in that that kind of spot. You're talking to a mother of 16-year-old boys, two boys, <laughs> so I'm taking it extremely personal, and what you're yeah, saying resonates yeah. with me, it hurts me now yeah. to, to hear that such a young person at such a young mm-hmm. age feeling this completely devastating, heavy, I don't know how to say it even, it just yeah. it's devastates me yeah. to know that people can suffer so deep in such a young age. And you as a parent probably missing the signs. Were yeah. your parents aware of what's happening to you? Yeah, of course. When you're in that spot, you can only be supported to a certain extent. So they did absolutely everything they can. And they've been, I mean, I wouldn't be able to, to be here today without my parents. So they were absolutely amazing. But like you said, with young people, it's shocking. Like, And I think a lot of people are shocked by my story. But the unfortunate side of that is, and I don't want to get all depressing here. <laughs> no, no, no. Get depressing. We will flip you 180 degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really true. It's um, all doom and gloom for now. And yeah. we will just then yeah. elevate. But, and it's going to what I hate. But We need to understand un- you, yeah, exactly. who you are. That's not uncommon for young people now, which is really sad. It only happens, it's not common for ages sort of obviously 12 to 14, but when you go over 14, those numbers, I think they triple. Well, it's with hormones as well. And hormones as well and everything going into high school and everything like that. But High school is cruel yeah. in Australia. <laughs> it's just so cruel. Did oh, you? yeah. How did you find this jungle? Oh, it's it's coming it's from an, South Africa would be handy to have a few tools. It's an interesting, yeah, handy to have a few tools. It's an interesting ride, but most of all, it's just the culture shock. Going from one culture and having these sort of preconceived ideas of what Australia is going to be like, and then coming into it, and Australia being nothing like that, 
So you um, were expecting cuddles and kangaroos and this is fluffy koalas and suddenly you're that. dealing with aggravated teenagers. Yeah, because you're moving from a country that, oh, a third world country, where you're trying to get out of all that chaos and ca- uh, South Africa was going down. Oh my gosh, they were going down. And then coming into a country like, okay, let's have it a tiny bit easier. And we do, we definitely do have it easier in Australia. But in other areas, it's it's a big culture shock, definitely. What shocked you the most? I'm just being selfish yeah, yeah, here, yeah. Terence, sharing this immigrant story. <laughs> I'm not to talk too long. No, that's all right. I, I guess I'm the only non-immigrant here, but yes. yeah, I yeah. grew up as a... You have an amazing as, story as yourself, As a minority Mr. group yeah. in a very poor area. Which so I'm relating a lot. But Terence, your story blew me away, and I think we need to have a podcast about how you gone from where you have been. But Gosh, it's I today. Be I think yeah, Nadia, <laughs> Nadia was surprised at my story when I told yeah, her. Wow, really? I <laughs> fell off the chair. But twice. <laughs> <laughs> so let's have a chat about this. Mm. Contrast because Australians love to hear how different they are. <laughs> they also like to know how cooler they are, yeah. much cooler than the rest of the world. And <laughs> that's what the expectation when they pose the question to you. Yeah, yeah. They expect you to talk about slums and yeah. since you migrated, yeah. you just become a completely different person yeah. and they feel a little bit benevolent. Yeah. So yeah. that's how what the entire feeling behind it. So please let me know what your shock was. Yeah, well, first of all, coming from a country like South Africa. And you see the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. But you come to a country like Australia and you see they have so much, but Australians give a lot. That's the first thing I just want to say is Australians are known across the world, and I'm not just trying to speak them up for the sake of it, but are known for giving. So that's a huge thing that we didn't have back in South Africa. So that was a good culture shock. There was a lot of good culture shocks. The biggest culture shock that was bad to me or negative culture shock, I guess, is the being in school because I was going through different things at a much younger age was the how people or how kids my age were so unaware of what was happening outside of the country and the rest of the world like poverty and everything like that like and I think maybe just the education on that like I think I got a lot of questions when I moved first to Australia like Did you live in a hut or in the desert and stuff? I was like, no, I didn't, yes. <laughs> didn't live in the hut. It was hut my prom house yeah, Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I lived in a normal house. Like, it was normal, but it was just obviously. It crime. has fences around. Yeah, it a lot more fences. Yeah. That's what it's Huge, said. huge fences. But yeah, that was probably the, the biggest culture shock was just me going like, oh my gosh, how do people not know about what's happening around the world? But I mean, I'm not, I don't blame them because I mean, they're, these young kids i'm like why don't you know this and they're like in year five or year six but yeah i think that was the biggest culture shock for me so they are living here and we are now living in yeah, a very exactly. happy bubble we are not yeah. touched by the misery of the world that's why yeah. they can afford kind of news they having on channel nine yeah. about cat get stuck in the drain <laughs> and some other <laughs> things which just or somebody drives into the lounge room a few times a week. Yeah. You, we have this kind of news. They can afford it. Yeah. They're happy nations, and we are now. I'm a citizen. It's a very happy place to yeah. be. Worried about cats and dogs yeah. and this type of stuff. And the rest of the world is probably pulling um, parasites out of the orphan's eyes. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> but directing, like you said, like the bubble, directing that a tiny bit, it gives us such an amazing, and especially young people, it gives us such an amazing platform and opportunity to be able to then go out into the rest of the world and make that change But in the areas Josh that struggle. It's amazing that you have perspective 
And this is what I noticed about yeah. Australians. I'm being an accountant. Mm-hmm. I see Australia and Terence seeing it this way as well. That's mm-hmm. why I actually can relate to everything yeah, yeah. he says. Is Australia is a country of opportunity. Mm, it is. It totally is, yeah. But people who never been outside of Australia, they have a lot of whinging happening. They're not happy. They don't think that businesses, the environment is really good here for businesses yeah. and everything. Because you have perspective. You came here mm. and you realize even at the age of 12 that it's a country, well, you realize at the age of 12 that it's a country of some opportunity after going through some trauma, psychological yeah. trauma. But And you now taking your chance of basically exploiting these opportunities. Yeah. And this is what I think a little bit of, would you say it's probably reason why you the way you are at the age of 16? Yeah, definitely. No, I appreciation. I think, I think it's perspective. I think you're totally right. And I think it's just about about getting that perspective and then deciding your purpose out of that, what, what you want to do with that opportunity. Uh, so then it's up to you as the individual to... Part of it's actually what you choose to see. Right? You either choose to see yeah, the opportunity or you true. choose to see the lack of opportunity. Exactly, yes, it's perspective. But pulled you out of that. At the age of 12, mm. you know, what got you out of that to where you see yourself today? I mean, do you see that things yeah. have improved a lot? Oh, gosh, today? yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. of course. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping so. Yeah. <laughs> so what pulled you out? Yeah, so at the age of 12, what pulled you out yeah. of that? Yeah, that's a good question because you dig yourself a deep hole. I think it was out of that asking myself, because when you go into that time, the, you can approach this in a much better way. But the positive of it is that you ask yourself life's questions, like what is my purpose here? Well, what am I here to do? And obviously at 12 years old, you're asking that in a much more simple. simple so what's form. the question? How does the question in a simple form sound? It was more like, well, what am I going to do with my life? If I really want to live more, then what do I want to do? What do I want to wake up in and, the and, so and do? And so, 12-year-old, did you have an answer for that? Yeah, so I didn't for the first, like, four or five months. And then the, probably, like, I started to get an answer. And that was to be able to positively impact other people's lives. Because I think, I slowly, I think other people as well, but I got myself with that out of that hole. And the way I got myself out of that hole was sort of taking it day by day, but deciding when I was fully sort of out of this sort of hole of my own thoughts and use what I had to be able to, and the opportunity that I had around me to then be able to, I think, give it forward and pass it forward and impact other people's Have lives. you read anything around this time? Did you look into books? Did you look for inspiration? That's, good. Uh, That's a good question. So... Well, no, we're getting a bit, we're getting a bit deep here. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, it's fine. You no, know, it happens on this podcast. I'm totally happy. <laughs> you, I'm will, so... you will float, nobody drowned yeah. yet. No, I really appreciate you sort of going deep into that because that's a really vital part of everything, I guess. I think it was for me, I've been brought up my life in a Christian family. So it was for me sort of finding my own and my own stance on faith during that time, my own faith in religion as well. And then out of that, I think at 12 years old, it, if it doesn't do anything else for you, what it does do for you is it teaches you a a much firmer and deeper moral stance on things. What religion are you? Christian. 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 So did you go to school or how did you basically was involved with a Christian with community? With faith, yeah, yeah. So church. So it was just 
grew up going to church with my family. It was just this sort of what I would call like a cycle of religion. You just, you go to church every Sunday. That's what you do. That's what you just brought in. Would you call yourself a spiritual person or would you call yourself more like a... I, I think I would call myself a... I approach a lot of things, I think spiritually, but from that aspect of the stance I had from the age of 12 when I sort of found my faith and my own sort of feet on the ground, if that's what you would say, in my Christian faith. Like I was saying, if it doesn't do anything more than teach you a, a moral understanding, which it did for me at that age, that's good. But I saw it, could do, it did a lot more for me than just teach me a moral stance. Well, it, it saved your life by the sound of it. Yeah, you know, it actually did. It actually did because... I think it was more this thing of hope. I had this sort of hope to stand. And I think that's also where my purpose came from. And I don't get a lot of opportunities to speak about this. So it's, it's really cool to, Please to be able to speak. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Because it's, it's a different perspective. It just, it came for me out of that time and taking my stance on faith. But then also, like now we're fast forward to this age is, You look back on biblical stories and you look back at the deeper meaning of them and the historical significance of them as well. So if they don't do anything, if, even if you're not a Christian or you don't want anything to do with that faith, it, it's even reading those stories and seeing their historical significance because the Bible hasn't just been around for thousands of years just because people thought it was ludicrous, but somehow it just kept on going. It's obviously played an important part in a lot of generations' lives. So for me, it was then going deeper into that. And I'm a huge reader, so reading that. And yeah, but then also, like, I mean, fast-forwarding to this age, someone who's really blown up is a guy called Jordan Peterson, who's an amazing psychologist. And he's come from a background of clinical psychology for 25 or so years. And he's blown up a lot in the political landscape in America with what's happening He has a really cool approach in how he navigates with his speeches and his lectures, how he navigates certain parts of the Bible, but also purpose in life and, and simple sayings. Like he has one saying called something that goes along the lines of clean up your own room before you go out and tell the world how to clean up theirs. And it, it's the significance of getting your own chaos of life in order and getting yourself in order and then being able to use that to, to better the world. So, well, yeah. I mean, so how do you apply it in business? Yeah. If, This principle in business. Yeah. Uh, well, faith, the, basically, the way yeah, I hear it, moral principles. principles. So what you took from faith, you took moral principles of mm. operation, which makes you a better human being. Yeah. I, I truly believe it does. Yeah. Yeah. Because it does uh, show the difference between right and wrong. It's just pretty clear. Yeah. It's a guideline. Yeah for it's a moral yeah. compass was for you what i'm asking is now you touching base with of clinical psychology yeah. and you throwing so you don't exactly sound like a dropout kid to me <laughs> um so <laughs> let's just put it out there you are a huge reader so obviously <laughs> it comes to the point when i have to conclude that you might done some self-education as opposed to traditional yeah. schooling and uh, this probably school board Mm. You found school curriculum boring and not very useful. Yeah. Would it be the reason why you dropped out? And I will come back to the Totally, question. totally. It was relevance. It was the relevance of the curriculum to what I was doing because I was doing out of school. I was running a business. I was running the creative agency like really, really seriously full time in mid-year eight while still being at school. 
and it was learning all of the self out the stuff outside of school and then going back into school and well for the most part irrelevant curriculum and you're like well i can learn so much being in the actual world that's the But, thing yeah. it's now very very current is thought and i hear it a lot It's mm. when young people basically telling everything around us changes so mm. fast. Yet the school we had the same curriculum. Probably our grandparents were doing yeah. so hundreds of years, yeah. and some subjects thousands of years. But this is where you did find yourself that you were not mm. stimulated at school or not getting information, and time becomes very valuable to you. Yeah, and obviously that then you begin to learn the value of like, well, this time is very valuable. What am I doing wasting it? That's so true. But yeah, I don't think all the blame should be put on education. But oh, I we're not blaming anybody. Yeah, we're just course. comparing. No, like I'm coming from just shout into the mic. I noticed. <laughs> yeah. like, I noticed from a student's perspective, as like we're talking about the topic of opportunities, okay. we need to find our purpose and then align our education with that purpose, which is our responsibility. But then, like you said, then the curriculum's responsibility comes, and the school's responsibility comes, and to then hold us to account, obviously to a, a certain extent that school should during our learning years, but then allow us to shape our curriculum about what we're passionate about. So when we move, we leave from school, these skills that we've left with are applicable to going into the workforce or a business the day after you leave your 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, so it wasn't much relevant. What I do like the fact that you said align my learning with my purpose. Mm. That's what you were doing. So you were yeah. getting so much more outside of curriculum that you felt like it would be a waste of time and to stay. So what next step was? You set up obviously two yeah. businesses. Yeah. And what I do want to come back, clean up your own room first. So yeah. how did you apply it in the, when you were setting up businesses? Yeah, you? that's true. And I had a really amazing conversation with um, Terence actually about this that night. Um, and we're talking about this really amazing book called Essentialism. What was the author's name? Greg McKeown. Yeah, so yeah. Essentialism. And that book covers sort of going into this saying no more than yes, but it was going a lot more deeper than that in the sense And I'll go back to the saying in a second, but in the sense of really, really defining your purpose and then aligning opportunities and your value of time to then not just being busy for the sake of being busy. So the saying, clean up your room before you go out and tell the world to clean their own room is that we obviously have really strong opinions as as young people. Oh, tell me that. <laughs> We haven't even entered the workforce, so it's almost it's like a hold on. It's look like you're bypassing the workforce yeah, altogether exactly. and creating your own. Yeah, well, that would be a cool thing. We haven't even entered the extent of life. We're still living with our parents. We're still under pretty much almost no responsibility, only a tiny bit of responsibility. But we seem to have a really good time telling the world how to live their life and You see that a lot now with those. You know, of- just now you're saying these words and there is a slight hello just above your head suddenly appear <laughs> because not many 16-year-old would realize that they, hey, haven't done much yet. Yeah. <laughs> Mom, but yeah. I have every right to preach you how to do so and how to live your that. life. Yeah, yeah, it's spot on. That's, yeah. They're so good at it. Yeah. And it's even like, you must have heard the quote from somewhere for, I don't know if we touched on this when we were talking about Terence, but we were talking about like, just the, the habits of successful people and it's just like simple things like making your bed in the morning and that doesn't seem like much and it seems like a dumb exercise but it's about getting this chaos into order and then going out 
into the world and then turning other pieces or bits of chaos into order and making change in that. And that's what I think that saying is around. It's it's, it's really stuck with me. Well, that's very good. And yeah. I think making the bed was one of the American generals telling that's how he starts his day. Yeah, and doesn't matter what happens during the day, he comes back to neatly made bed. Yeah, yeah. And just it's a psychological and ecological. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So I'm really interested in how you've now all this back full story you've got extremely mature for a 16 year old i'll say that right i don't think i was anywhere near that mature at 16 in fact i'm sure of it um, are you sure you are on the same level now? well i don't it's even just... know if i'm that mature now yeah That's is that what you're trying to say <laughs> yes i, okay. have, I yeah. don't try just well you <laughs> i think you're probably right so <laughs> and you've translated all this into a couple of pretty serious businesses right so tell us about that well, let's first of all, for our listeners, yeah. give a bit of value to your business. Just describe us how, yeah, what sure. type of clients you, so sure. we just need to. Of course. I'll first start off with Sprint Jack Creative. So that was, started as an agency. So we moved from just myself as a photography business, wanting to grow it into a company, into an agency type structure in probably early 2017. And it was my goal to sort of just focus solely on what I love as video and photo content creation so it'd be a visual content creation agency just focused on exactly that for our clients but the difference i wanted brinjack creative to bring was to tailor make packages and the final product which in this case is visual content photos and video to the client's specific campaign or their marketing needs rather than just a set of pretty pictures in the end and i managed to develop a system and a workflow off that technically speaking, and then also in the actual field, working with clients, which was really exciting. And then Brinjack Creative sort of to today, we've sort of worked with over in the past year alone, 250 clients across Australia, merging into the international orders. And these range from your clients like your locally owned family bakeries and cafes, all the way to higher clients like Mercedes-Benz and Holden Australia. We've just done some work with Qantas, And yeah, on over $100,000 worth of content creation projects in the past year. And I think it struck a note somewhere. I think I contacted the responsibility for it because I was just looking at what clients weren't getting from your normal photographer or or videographer. And I was saying, well, what could we do to make something that was suited to that client's needs rather than just some pretty pictures for them? Can you give me a little example when you connected with the photography to particular need and just use a live example, which I would like to see what you have seen is not happening and you offer some angle with your photography, which... The campaign with Holden Australia was pretty memorable because basically we were marketing or they were marketing to a really, really driving it on the Mornington Peninsula. But all these images were from these beautiful international locations and we're like, oh, the agency who I was working with, who I worked with Holden Australia, was like, it's not reaching people locally because they don't associate themselves with driving in that location. So we decided to do this campaign just focused just on showcasing Mornington Peninsula. So the cars would be obviously the focus of the shoot, like the new range of cars, but the Mornington Peninsula, the locations would be the stars of the images, the actual background of it. And that exactly happened. And it's just one of those things that just 
all worked out when the shoot came. What was the prize winning location? Which really, really... Really, I loved... The main locations I loved were driving through the forest, through sort of Red Hill and Shoreham. There were some... It's just so sort of iconic and local to Mornington Peninsula, right on our really front doorstep. Yet, it just seems like something else when you go in these forests. Because I do a lot of landscape photos as well. I can't get over how amazing a spot we live in. And we have this sort of Great Ocean Road type coastline for the Mornington Peninsula down Sorrento Way. And then on the other side, you have these deep, deep forests and Red Hill and Merricks and, and Flinders and stuff. So yeah, it was just showcasing the Mornington Peninsula. But then out of that, started to connect, I'm looking from results from that campaign, it started to connect with their client base a lot more because they they said oh we went there on the weekend or oh we went there just up the other day so that was really cool and you you sort of show people what they already have in their backyard with a product you want to sell so that was one really memorable campaign with the creative agency quite clever because you've kind of taking it's as if they're trying to make the car the hero of the shot and i think you just kind of alluded to this before and you've made the area the hero of the shot and you've really kind of connected the two together yeah, definitely. definitely. He basically demonstrated how this car fits in into the local environment. Yeah, exactly. Which is where people position yeah, there. Exactly. Which where local buyers buyers are going ninety percent of the time is locally. Yeah, they don't buy a car to go overseas and drive it. Yeah, but you've done the first thing that any business should probably look at doing, and that is solve a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very. That's true. First thing to do is solve a problem. Yeah. So if you're out there trying to start a business. The first thing is, you know, get out there and solve something mm. for someone, for a very specific person or market or whatever the case is. Be yeah, as specific exactly. as you can. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and then Gentleman Australia, the and Gentleman Australia is, is a different model because it's still evolving into that. that so it's to do purpose. with fashion. Yeah, so it's, you you're pretty well dressed. Uh, Are you very dressing yourself? Today. <laughs> well, but it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> we forgive you. It's just is it passion for clothing? Where does it come from? It is a passion for clothes and it came from working in the creative agency, working with online retailers and seeing what, not with the online retailers that I was working with, but online retailers in general. We have a few really large ones in Australia that focus on really large brands. So it was shining light on independent brands as well as at a lower price point, at a cheaper price point. So that's the goal with Gentleman Australia. But the overall goal with Gentleman Australia is to turn the focus more into software and becoming a platform rather than just a simple online fashion reseller, basically. And the goal of that is to bring a collection of clothing on a platform or fashion and fashion accessories that is t- are tailor-made to the actual person using just a phone as a a measuring tape, no measuring tape or anything included. So the phone based on an image and also actually sliding, actually gliding the phone through your arms and obviously through your chest. So there is some technology, some app allows you to do it? It's absolutely incredible when you see it. It's technology that's already out there, but I don't think has been fully utilized yet. And we're really not taking advantage of it because there's such a difference between getting a t-shirt or let's say a suit that's where we're wanting to go into a suit that's say a medium from your david jones or something or going to a tailor and getting a suit that's perfectly fit to your size it's a different feel so that's where we're wanting to go and is to making tailored clothing at a mid-level consumer price point i like the idea of being measured by your own phone yeah it's 
it's scary, but it's really cool. It's actually really cool. Do you do it naked or do you do it on clothes? <laughs> no, you just wear like, for example, suits. You just wear like a normal t-shirt or if you really want to get exact, like a French cut shirt with the little cufflink areas at the end. And then you measure it so you can get the exact measurements of what the blazer or the pants would look like on you. But the reason why we haven't sort of really, really focused on releasing that software yet is number one, getting the customer base right because it's so new for me. And also number two is getting actual live previews of what you would look like on the suit or what you look like in that clothing. Because what I'm trying to do with that software in itself is cool, but I'm trying to bridge the gap between going to a, a shop and trying on sort of a suit or piece of clothing and feeling it and, and seeing if it's the right size to the disadvantage of going online and just buying a clo- piece of clothing and hoping it fits you. And if it's not the right size, trying to... Hassle. The measuring has to come to this instruction. Do not suck your tummy in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, true. True. Well, it's fascinating because it is there is a, this gap because we constantly see what was ordered online, how it looked yeah, online and how it looks online. No, it actually looks yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, I think this is would be your campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, actually. I'll write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome. So one of the things that I noticed and uh, very quickly when I connected with you, you've mm-hmm. got a, you've got a huge Instagram following, you've got a great presence there. Is that your main kind of social media channel? Yeah, so that's a good point to touch on because that's where Brinjak Creative is actually heading. We've moved from a solely physical based and serving agency to now just solely online. So we just serve clients through Instagram and Facebook content creation. So yeah, Instagram is is the main channel. It's really exciting. Like Instagram the other day has just released an external YouTube competitor called Instagram TV. Mm. So there's some huge unexplored territory there. And also in the Instagram influence industry, there's a lot of unexplored territory. Yeah. Terence, we're going to Instagram TV. (laughs) Where are we? So how long have you been growing that for? And how did you get it? I think you've got, when I looked at, 31,000 followers or something like that. So you're doing you're doing quite well, a lot better than me. <laughs> that's for sure. My photos aren't as good Sorry. as yours. That's Sorry. the problem. And so, you know, tell us about how you grew that. Yeah. I mean, and how long has it taken you to grow it? Yeah, so I started the, I think the Instagram account. I haven't kept a great track of it, but I started the Instagram account probably two, one and a half to two years ago. And I first focused on the first rule of Instagram, the golden rule, would be consistency and getting a set style for your account that you won't veer away from too much. So that set style paired with a consistency, which I find is posting every second day, not every single day, which really allows you to cull yourself to the really the best, best content that you have. Mm. And then with that, actually responding to your followers and your engagers and, and engaging back with them. But most importantly, reaching out to new people through Instagram. It's the same thing as going to a networking event or or going somewhere to a presentation site to be able to connect with new people. You can do the same thing on Instagram on a much larger scale through the use of hashtags and locations. You can find, like for me, when I was cr- growing the photography business, I really wanted to target tourism clients. So I went to a lot of tourism hashtags and locations locally, actually, and found a lot of businesses. But 
a lot of individuals as well and connected with them by just leaving like a quick one or two second comment or let's say 20 or 30 second takes to write really quickly like oh this is an awesome shot where was this the specific spot if they're at a, a beach or something or if you're connecting with a, a business is like what's the specific service and just asking them on a post and when you that's the second rule is ask them a question because it invokes a response it's human nature to reply to a question when it's asked even when it's over instagram so yeah so, so just kind of, so what kind of questions would you ask most of all the most common questions like oh, amazing spot where was this shot taken like and that for me genuinely like i found so many spots out of that and hidden spots in sorrento and blair for coastal shots i was genuinely getting a lot of value from them but then it sparked up a conversation like oh you're a photographer locally and then they'd go on your account you get to a point where you get like a consistent amount of comments on your post which is cool but what you want to do is when you're growing that following and when you're growing that most importantly that engagement base the likers and the commenters is you want to keep on engaging back to those consistent people who always like and always comment on your post by direct messaging them or keeping in constant contact because what that does is when you post a new post they will i'm not going to say this right reciprocation yes. which is all right yeah, yeah. yeah reciprocation yeah is they'll comment back and then you comment back and then you're both benefiting one another if you do that with enough people it creates a pretty huge effect and i do that through the use of what's called an instagram pod if you don't know what that is, just Google it, uh, Instagram pod or Instagram engagement group. So it's basically a group of anywhere from five to 20 people. Biggest group I have is like, I think 60 people, but that's divided into tiny groups where you all support each other in the group. And when someone posts, everyone go- goes on that post and engages with it. And what that does with Instagram's new algorithm is Instagram's algorithm doesn't show photos based on the time they were posted anymore. It shows photos based on the engagement they received in the shortest amount of time. Hmm. So the photo that received the most engagement in the shortest amount of time will show at the top of your feed. If you scroll through your feed, you will notice that. Or the most relevant photo. This is how Instagram tries to show more relevant content to you. Hmm. So that's why the art of reciprocation works really well as well. Can I be as in well. your pod? Of course you can. <laughs> Which pod would you like? Feel here? free to direct message me. I have a lot of pods that anyone can be in. I want yeah, you I the most we... attended one. I don't want the empty pod. <laughs> I don't think we should be announcing the, on <laughs> the podcast. But Yeah, true. But maybe after oh, that's that. That's coincidence. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. So this comes back to, I went to the a Digital Marketer event earlier this year. I don't know if you've heard of Digital Marketer. They run Traffic and Conversion Summit huge event in san diego i think there's close to six thousand digital marketing type people there so yeah, there's yeah. a lot of geeks kind of floating around all of us <laughs> were there but but one of the things that they said and it really it's such common sense that it's easy to forget about it with social mm-hmm. media it's a human to human conversation yes. and so that's really actually what you're talking about reciprocal you know yeah this reciprocation kind of idea is just comes back to creating relationships yeah really and human to human interaction and conversation so sure it's the same in everyday life or networking exactly what you said because people will be kind to those who most of the time be kind (laughs) to people who have been kind to them so yeah that works the exact same for instagram and that's the fastest thing 
that has grown my Instagram. So Instagram tagline, scratch my back, I will scratch you. Exactly, yeah. But that should be the new hashtag, scratch my back. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> hashtag scratch my back. Come on, quickly, register the handle. <laughs> Copyright that. <laughs> so what's the future hold for you now? What, you know, where are you headed? Oh, he, let me oh. give you crystal ball so we can. It's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, so where, where f- would you like it to be heading? <laughs> that, that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a business sense, my businesses that I'm doing, obviously they're very separate in the industries they're in. Um, they're all a vehicle and a means to an end in achieving my purpose, the overall writing purpose, which I recommend we all have. And my purpose is to resource other projects, people, communities, initiatives, and ventures to positively impact other people's lives. So what my focus is at the moment is growing these two brands and and actually with Gentleman Australia more is diversifying into to actually more brands under that Gentleman Australia brand as well as sort of educating myself more in software. I work with two awesome software developers and we've been able to develop some pretty cool stuff for Instagram as well as for this Gentleman Australia. So it's exploring the really uh, this is really vague but it's exploring the possibilities for what's to come with artificial intelligence and virtual reality in fashion and then also so people will be wearing virtual suits no but like (laughs) physical suits actual suits but actually (laughs) that's a cool idea you need to trademark that as well (laughs) yeah but but finding the measurements. Just let's hope there is no power. That's got that's got to be a highlight. <laughs> that's right. People walking around thinking they're wearing suits, but they're actually naked. Oh wow! The king is naked. <laughs> <laughs> that's a famous thing. Yeah. Well, look, the it's, king it's, is, yeah, yeah. It's a famous one, so Solomon, you can have it. That's right. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Yeah, and so what are you working on, really? Yes, for Gentleman Australia, I'm working on really, really driving the artificial intelligence and virtual reality software side of it, so we can create a platform that delivers tailored-made fashion at a mid-consumer price point. Mm-hmm. Then with Brinjack Creative, we're focused on reaching, uh, through multiple pages, a combined following just through Instagram and Facebook of 5 million genuine followers by the end of this year over those two platforms to then be able to branch out into a few more things. It's amazing that and it's bring takes, the agency online. Yeah. It takes person from South Africa to create Australian fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find people here dressed well? I think Australians are some of the most well dressed. I actually had to ask Terence a question about how he pulls off these what do you call these? <laughs> <laughs> oh, these tops. Yeah, these tops. <laughs> Because I, I don't think I can, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that is. This is the long sleeve tops, right? Yeah, the long sleeve tops. I, I don't get them. I can't do them. All right, so my off. secret to clothing is have less. So less is more and less but better. Yes. Less but better. And only keep the stuff that you love. Yeah. So I actually, I went through and do this with, you can do this with everything in your life, right? So here's my hot tip for this podcast, right? You can do this with everything in your life. You can do it. How with- to look hot as uh, well, parents? So it's not- <laughs> with your clothing, 
but with everything, with your friends, <laughs> right? Yeah, this this sounds so harsh. Yeah. It's a 2080 rule, always 20. But but with the people that you're hanging out so with, right. the things that you do, right, get rid of the things that you don't love. And that kind of comes back to one of the things that you said earlier. You said, you know, you kind of figured out what you passionately hate. Yeah. I don't know if, know if we have to be quite that, you know, go yeah. quite that far. What but, clothing do you passionately but, hate? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you've got clothing you passionately hate, you've purchased <laughs> something wrong, right? But, Male dressing gowns. I passionately hate. <laughs> let's just get rid of the clothing that we don't really love. Let's just get rid of all that stuff that we don't really love and just keep the stuff that we really do love, yeah. right? And just have that. And, and wear it to death so it has holes in it. Yeah. Well, correct. Well, that, that's fine too. But you can do that with pretty much anything in your life. And I've done that, you know, in terms of my business, in terms of, well, probably my team to a degree, you know. I, I work with the people I love to work with. I've done it with my clients. I work with clients that I love to work with. You know, I, I guess I've got a really great circle of friends. They don't have to be really wealthy or a particular type of person to, for me to be friends. I've just got to really enjoy hanging out with that person. You know, we've got to have things in common. Which, and one of the other things that we spoke about, I think, in Lisa's podcast, Lisa Stevenson, mm-hmm. was things around you should give you energy. You know, they should really increase your energy levels if they drain your energy levels, then time to have a good look at those things and start moving them on. What gives wow. you energy? Gosh, that's a good question. When do you come home and go, bang, mm. it was a really good day? Yeah, I touched on this the other night. I was talking and to a group of sort of other creators. And I think the thing that gives me the most fulfillment and, in effect, energy is that I think as artists and also really specifically business owners, what we get this, if we really love what we're doing, what we get this fulfillment out of is seeing nothing and seeing this limitless potential that we have in our minds and these dreams that we have, and then translating that into a physical, real thing. Like you see an artist and with a paintbrush and a canvas. That's what we as entrepreneurs can do and business owners is we take these dreams that everyone think is crazy and then we actually convert them into a reality for ourselves and that in effect actually positively impacts other people if done right. I know there is an entire bureau somewhere in America which is basically a committee of impossible. I don't know exact name mm-hmm. for it, but it's the way I define it. They are people are paid to produce ideas which cannot be done. Wow, really? Yes. And basically, what do you think Gosh. is impossible now? And they brainstorm it, and then they hire other bunch of nerds who will make it happen. <laughs> so I think it's awesome. wow. really 180 degree flip. Yes. We're getting a lot around this geometry. Tell me about your dreams now, which sound real, a little bit crazy, because <laughs> you want to just put handle on it. And later on, when it's all happened, it was you who said was, you're going yeah. to do. What? Oh, okay. Well, Let, let's do a few crazy dreams. The crazy dream, the crazy dream is with the creative agency side. I think Gentleman Australia, I've had my, my share of, for a few months, my share of sort of crazy dreams and crazy failures. It's been a, a few crazy months for Gentleman. For Brinjack Creative, the goal with that is to become one of the biggest agencies that control some of that run some of the biggest accounts on Instagram when combined the following because I think specifically with influence industry and where Instagram is going that's why Instagram TV and their platforms are so exciting now it gives 
create as an opportunity to create really purposeful content, but also accounts to create platform within create platforms within Instagram to reshare that content and really do some amazing things through just an Instagram account because that's becoming the new television for young people. People are scrolling through their phones more and more than they are switching on the TV rapidly. So why not make that content that they're seeing purposeful rather than meaningless? And another question, when you went into business, you dropped out of school and went into business, did you have coaches around you? Where did you get knowledge how to do it? I think the one, not biggest regret, I think one of my regrets was not actually having a coach because I navigated it all pretty... Painfully? Yeah, painfully, when you don't see where you're going, like just being blind with it and just taking a shot in the dark really and seeing like all this work. And a lot of, obviously... Through the fog, bizarre delight. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) But a lot of the coaching, the direction that I did get was from obviously reading and YouTube and, and podcasts, actually. So, yeah, those three things have actually educated me on 99.9% of everything. If, if I put you back to the point zero when you just started, yeah. what would you be making different? Oh, what would I change with what I'm doing today? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I would dream... There's a quote that goes something like, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year and then underestimate what we can actually do in five. Mm-hmm. And we sort of set these huge day goals for... Well, unattainable goals for the next 365 days, the next year. And then we overwhelm ourselves so much with the just mammoth size of that goal that we don't actually focus on the day-to-day tasks of reaching that goal. And I think the cool thing with looking into five years, even if you don't pursue that goal for five years, is you see this day-to-day operation of, oh, you try to make this day-to-day, you convert this huge audacious goal into a week to week and eventually a day to day what you need to do in order to find that goal and and reach it so i think it was converting and that's still probably a problem let's say that i'm still navigating is converting those huge audacious goals that you have in your mind and then putting them to paper it's easy but then diverting what you're going to do today to get closer to that goal is the hardest part of it because what's the most meaningful thing to do but out of that you become really, really focused on what's going to give me an output that draws me closer to that goal and what's not. And you don't, you try to do or limit what's not as much as possible. It's pretty powerful (laughs) because you are looking into short term and you're looking at long term Mm. and you got this perfect formula that you're quite right. People get disheartened by not achieving 365 that they lose the wind in their sail exactly yeah for one year out of and in a life one year doesn't become that much but if you let it it can go over so many other years it's a very profound understanding of a lot of business concept in such a young age i think you set yourself up for quite a success i really appreciate that Mm. you're kind of saying focus beyond the immediate future is that a way? Yeah, the short term, the delayed gratification. See what you can delay the gratification of now, whether that be the, the newest car or the newest thing. And that's been the biggest thing for yeah. me is to invest and save into the future and, and not just spend it all and, and look good in the moment. And then in the future, <laughs> suffer. Yeah. yeah. Suffer because of it. Yeah. 
it's again very powerful concept of overcoming well Craig Harper one of mm-hmm. the strong ones of, of overcoming this instant gratification mm-hmm. and for longer term and this is obviously one of the vital ingredients of success yeah. this ability to sacrifice for bigger goal yeah and like Terence said that and like you said as well the the 8020 rule that's such a powerful and really quick way in determining what's useful and what's not because like 80% let's see your wardrobe 80% of the clothes and I can say this as well in your wardrobe you don't even wear but then 20% are the ones you do wear and then you see the all Steve the time exactly all the time and then you see the Steve Jobs and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world that have embraced that maybe a bit too on the extreme side but they've done it and have just made their wardrobe that entire 1% and it's like they wear the same thing every single day no matter what it's crazy yeah the can afford good well, i actually i mean well it's actually it helps them to avoid decision fatigue exactly so yeah. it's basically you know the reasoning behind it is that that's one less decision they've got to make every day so actually go out of their way to make less decisions and less of those decisions that don't really make much of a difference to their life i mean if they wore a white shirt or white t-shirt or a black t-shirt right i don't think anyone's going to really care and it's unlikely to make much of a difference in their life especially in that particular day so why have to make that decision just take that decision out of it and then all of a sudden you're free to make you know another decision and decision fatigue is i think a well documented thing these days and the more decisions you make the worse your decisions get <laughs> right so by the end of the day you're you're sitting there making all these really bad decisions because you've tried to make you know at the start of the day you're like oh what do i have for breakfast what do i wear who am i going to call And that brings me back to something I talk with clients about quite often is why are you looking at your emails first thing? Because that means, you know, all of a sudden you've got to make all these decisions about, you know, what you're going to do during the day. Best way I've ever heard emails put is the to-do list that everyone else gets to add to, right? (laughs) And I think I've got to attribute that to, I think James Shramko said that. And so, you know, why are you looking at your emails to begin with? And then all of a sudden you're overwhelmed before you even get an opportunity to get started. So before you your day starts, you're already overwhelmed. You're feeling like you you know behind the eight ball already. So basically, the emails suck you dry, and then you left <laughs> to do your most important things yeah. with void of energy. Correct. And your most important work should be done when you've got the most energy, when you've got the ability to actually focus. It is a mistake that I see often. People leave that till last, and then all of a sudden, their most important work suffers and possibly never even gets done. So creating your PJs, don't worry about decision making. Oh, create your PJs. And, uh, I didn't say that. No, he did. <laughs> well, it was obvious. Yeah. It did come with accent. Uh, we are creating podcast for our uh, entrepreneurs, and we are very hopeful of being useful, mm-hmm. filling this gap of knowledge in the market, filling uh, the gap of what. Uh, things we wish we knew when we Terence and myself started business and this is what we trying to achieve with this podcast and your most valuable tip if i did ask you when somebody starting up something what would you call it the biggest thing from i'll give two can i give two if that's okay Absolutely, yes from- actually i will be generous today can you give three okay. <laughs> <laughs> i'll try my best um, you give however many you're comfortable with <laughs> the first coming from sort of like a, a purpose point of view I'd give is, and I'm going to sound like just someone who just goes on and on and repeats themselves, but the biggest thing for me in business and myself is finding out what I passionately love as well as what I passionately hate. 
The reason because of that, and the reason why I repeat and emphasize that so much is because it creates conviction. But then out of that, that conviction helps you to make decisions much more clearly because you have first a much more deeper moral standing and also you know what's going to produce a greater output in relevance to your life purpose that you've decided that you want to wake up every day and do. The second on a a practical viewpoint is that to get out of the equation that time equals money for your as you start to build a team and as you start to sort of grow at the start of the business it's obviously extremely important so when you're starting and when you're in your really formative stages run with the business as as hard as and obviously as smart as you can work but as you build the team and as you begin to outsource the work that doesn't require your hand in it begin to realize that me answering this email like you said and me taking away my focus when I could be doing or putting work toward a much, much greater project is my time and is my value as well. So realizing your value is not just a certain hourly rate per hour. That's why you see like a a Jeff Bezos, if if that's the right way to say it, Jeff Bezos. He made, what, close to $108 million on average a day last year. And that's unheard of, but that's because his time didn't equal his equation wasn't time equals money and obviously Amazon exploded but that was a really profound way to look at things as you sort of see the huge successes don't play place an importance of well this is my hourly rate at the start it's really really important because you realize your value but then as you grow you begin to lift yourself out of that equation and take yourself to the next level that's the second practical so I think it was just the purpose and the the practical that's the the two that I wanted to cover I would just phrase that as focus on highest value activity yeah always couldn't have said it better myself <laughs> that's amazing yeah, yeah that's cool so i think we've had a great discussion so far today and i'm really kind of looking forward to see where you get to in the next year or the next Thank couple you. of years so i'd love to invite you back on the podcast at some stage i guess you know thanks a lot for sharing with us we've covered a lot of ground here and and there was some stuff in your story that i must admit that i didn't realize you touched on it very briefly but being on the brink of suicide at the age of 12 that's big and and it's great to see that you've really bounced back and you're doing some great things now so how can our listener find you and connect with you yeah well the best way to be i would love to connect with you on instagram which is just jb.oz so that's jb then dot a-u-s that yeah. would be the best way. Okay. Just on Instagram. And we'll put a link and maybe we'll, we can find some links to your website. Perfect. It's just jboz.com. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. It was yeah. extremely interesting podcast for me. And I do find you a very deep, young man with a lot of potential and the most important, a lot of realized, some of the realized potential already seeing you at such age knowing already taste of failure, knowing already taste of depression and knowing already taste of success as well, which is makes it quite an interesting palette you have got. Thank you so much for having me as well. It's an honor. All right. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.